Welcome back to the Vine Pioneer Podcast. My name is Nick Columba, and uh, this week we got uh, two older albums. I'm not really reviewing anything somewhat newer. I mean, it was cool last week, I think, reviewing um, Tame Impala's Slow Rush, but uh, these two albums I've actually, I don't know, I've been listening to for a very long time, so it's just kind of really want to get my um, opinion out there of what they are. Uh, first one we got up is Beastie Boys, License to Ill. Released in 1996, you know, got Ad Rod, Ad Rock, my bad, <laughs> Ad Rock, uh, MCA, Mike D, all those guys is their debut album. Uh, it's a mixed bag of rock and rap because you can't really. That's why I think. I mean, that's why so many people are like, I never understand why. Um, what you call it? The Beastie Boys are in the you know Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This album right here is all you need, honestly. That and um, ill communication. Um, but this one especially, uh, I mean, just a track list on it is just full of these punchy rock songs, yet also these 808 filled, uh, rap melodies that just go perfectly together and somehow mix, especially when they're sampling guitar parts from rock artists. That's also the other thing is that they have just like throughout the whole album, just tremendous respect for all the generations of rock and rap that came before them um run dmc uh led zeppelin acdc they all follow in their footsteps i mean that's why they got onto jeff def jam records in the first place i mean you can look at the title tracks right now i mean there's the instant like classics of like hip-hop almost i guess they're like their brand of hip-hop which are like paul revere um was it rhyming and uh rhyming and stealing um girls kind of a little bit i wouldn't call that one 100 percent like rap it's more of a stripped down thing it's one of the more stripped down songs on there um because like like i said uh rhyming and stealing paul revere um brass monkey they all have that big um booming 808 to it that is very synonymous with the beastie boys now but this is when they were first experimenting with it and still kind of figuring out their sound, what they wanted to do, whether they were more rock, more rap. Um, in general, though, I mean, it's just a great combination of uh, both genres of music, in my opinion. And then, of course, you got the uh, more rock-driven songs, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, um, You Gotta Fight For Your Right to Party. Uh, what else? What's the other one on here that I'm thinking of? Oh, man. Uh, but, I mean, you look at the other things, on the other songs on this um um, as well uh she's crafty also again has the the drums in this again are just insanely well driven but then again with the sampling of um guitar riffs from classic rock all over the place it just pulls it together um one i do want to talk about again is i was talking about earlier is the song girls which is it's it's a weird one because you're coming off like these very heavy driven like rap tracks with the booming 808 and then all you got is this like little midi piano that has like no effects to it and you just got the guys humming in the background and it's just a very stripped down version of a rap but at the same time it's still very creative and spontaneous almost i mean mostly especially with um you can see it with paul revere though the more of the 808 is featured on here with the closed hi-hats and bass and rim shots like that and there are like there are downsides to this album. I'm not gonna like be like, oh no, it's amazing all the way through. Every single track is like 
you know, top tier. Like, we all know Brass Monkey has not aged the best. Um, it's just, <laughs> it's, I, I don't know, it just sound, it comes off as cheesy almost now, but it's 1986 when this came out. So, and even at the time, I don't know how popular it was compared to the rest of the album, which was just full of these amazing songs. Um, one thing I didn't, um, that's very interesting is, no Sleep Till Brooklyn's, um, the guitar solo on that is actually played by Carrie King, who, for those that don't know, is the guitar player for Slayer. So it's kind of cool that, like, they were able to merge these different genres, not even of, like, rock and rap, but, like, even throughout rock to, like, bring it in. I mean, even, like, throughout the whole thing, they are still paying tribute, like I said. Um, also, Black Sabbath and The Clash, they mentioned, um, through uh, Rhyming and Stealing and their sample throughout that. But then again, like I said, then it goes back to like more, that, but then old school rap as well, like Cool in the Gang, Sugar Hill Gang, um, guys like that who they very much look up to. And it was kind of hard for them to figure out, I guess, kind of where they might want to go with it. Uh, Rick Rubin produced it, so they were able to, they really had like a good producer behind this to make, like, bring it together as a concise idea. I mean, also, I mean, the, the BC Boys themselves were a big part of it, but having that there too also really helps. I mean, even again, again, back to the just it's constant references that the guys have because they, they especially being that young when you're that kind of young, I think it's you want to emulate a lot of what you hear, and sampling was becoming a big thing. So they're like, well, let's sample a lot of the people we like and listen to. So even the album itself, um, license or was it not not the album itself, the uh, title track, No Sleep Till Brooklyn, was. The song itself, or the title itself, was no was um, inspired by Motorhead's "No Sleep Till Hammersmith" album, which is crazy to think about that they're like listening to Lenny playing these like really heavy like bass lines that are fast and crazy, and him just going because that's how he sounds. Let's all come on. He sounds Motorhead's all sounds the same, but I think it's insanely, um, I guess respectful um, with these guys who are like, no, we want to like pay tribute. Um, again, just though a classic album with all these songs of, especially, um, yeah, fight for your right to party. I, it's such a, like, uh, uh, like living in, uh, your mom and dad's house at 16. Like, God, I just want to do my own thing. Like, like everyone's like on my back about stuff. And then it's just, I don't know. You can't help but smile and laugh at it now. Cause it's a little older, but at the same time, it still is a very well-produced song that you can still jam to. I've seen many even punk bands now, DIY bands in general, play this live at shows. I was at the Frights, and they actually played Fight for Your Right, and it was it was a great time. I thought I was like very surprised even that they were influenced by the Beastie Boys to a degree. But uh, the cover itself is also, I mean, a very iconic cover with the Boeing 727 uh, recently kind of um, appreciated, um, appropriated, stolen by a... Uh, uh, Eminem for the cover of Kamikaze, but honestly, I don't know why it was such a, it's, it's such an interesting cover, because it kind of looks very 1950s-esque, uh, the art style, I guess, and just how, but then, like, it, well, at least the front does, and then you turn around the album, and it's crashing into a giant ma mountain, and it's just, like, you see this wreckage and carnage on it, but it's still, it's still, like, just a beautifully, like, crafted piece um who did this i forget even who who um i don't even know who they gave credit to on this one but 
whoever it was did a great job again just an amazing album as a whole that was very influential to not just the rap genre at the time but also the rock genre and years to come for all those um a little bit though about again going back into more of the songs it's definitely nowhere near as like instrumental as like other songs that were coming out at the time in the rap genre it was it does feel like those tracks are definitely slipped back a bit but then again the 808 was the thing that they were really pushing at the time i mean they were it was a brand new piece of technology that they were working with and reversing it and playing it forward again reversing um snare sounds and bass drums and all that so they were just i mean it was a lot of experimentation with this album but at the same time you can see a lot of just raw talent with it i mean the lyrics themselves are never anything like super deep it's the it's the beastie boys you know it's a lot of joking around fooling around and stuff like that paul revere kind of being the only one that's like like almost like tells a story i guess i mean it tells a story but obviously nothing to it's similar but um i think they all do a great job of um adding their own spin to like their verse or their side of the story quote unquote and making it very um natural sounding not kind of like you know like super crazy but at the same time like uh what is it uh mike d's like talking about <laughs> running out and everything and um um or was it uh running out and like getting all the jewelry and stuff and i forget was it and mike d or uh no no it was um ad rock ad rock was like um as they were all stealing all that he's like i stole two girlies and a beer that's cold as well like it's just like it was like it was very defining of their characteristics throughout it and i think it's very much like stood the test of time of what their characteristics are throughout the group uh sorry for any of the uh noise <laughs> right now i just no well that's gonna be happening i'm recording at home again because again of covid so i'm right next to the police station so that's why you might hear sirens constantly running through um general consensus though i mean i'll just wrap this up of um general idea again i've always said i don't like numbering albums like this um overall though i gotta give it 8.5 9 out of 10 i think um again just really well crafted the only time the only reason why it's losing points is because age has not um begotten it well um it's very you know primitive when it comes to rap but the rock still holds up to on it the lyrics and the vocals and especially the 808 just make it sound really unlike anything else at the time it's kind of there's you know it's a very distinct beastie boy style is using the 808 so you know they kind of founded that so can't knock it all right uh second album on today's episode is weezer's pinkerton album um i know it's a very uh <laughs> i don't know how to describe it a very hipster album i don't even like saying that because i like this album a lot and i don't like that word but um it, it is one of those like things for a while that it was a hidden gem um in the rough um for those who are not big weezer fans which is a lot of people <laughs> they're not like the most big they're not the biggest band in the world but um this is their second album released in 1996 um 1994 was their first one that's the blue record that has um the sweater song um what else 
uh, uh, Buddy Holly, Say It Ain't So. Um, so obviously their first album was a huge hit. How do you, you know, um, follow that up, which is kind of, it's really hard to follow up an album like that, especially when you're, they were very young when that first one came out again, just like the Beastie Boys. But, um, this album took a very different turn than the poppy kind of sounding rock that they were making before, where it was very lighthearted songs, just kind of about whatever they were feeling about. But this one is just a much darker tone to it, which in 1996 was not huge. I guess at the time it was still like a lot of the sound was still very underground that they were working with the guitar sounding and the bass was a lot deeper and heavier on almost ambient of the uh, West Coast um, punk movement going on or, you know, bringing back of the punk movement. They even reference uh, Green Day and El Scorcho, um, who was also very young and had just put out Dookie, I think, around the time or was about to. Um but it was definitely a weird, uh, so lead singer, songwriter, River Cuomo, he really was just struggling with the idea of, um, struggling with the idea of um, fame and um, just handling that. He and he just didn't know what to do. He ended up going into surgery for his legs at one point because he was born with one leg shorter than the other and it was very painful and he was mostly in hospital beds. Um, the same period he was in Harvard University. Um, studying classical composition because um, he was feeling frustrated with the limitation of that rock and rock and roll was giving him and he felt like he really couldn't expand it anymore um, one of the big things he oops, sorry I mean one of the big influences is not really like a certain artist but uh, Guy oh god <laughs> this album is going to be a little hard to review because all the influences and a lot of the names are very hard to pronounce Guy Como Posuni, that's not right, but whatever, um, is 1904's uh, opera, Madame Butterfly. Um, he would listen to that constantly. It's about, like, you know, just a very sad and tragic story, and he was inspired to keep going with music because of it. So it became a very, like, darker album because of that. Um, and when it came out, people hated it. <laughs> like, they're like, this sounds nothing like Weezer. These are the same guys that put out buddy holly two years prior like that makes no sense but as people realize like later in the 90s that it, um themes are going to become darker and darker um i mean there was other bands but this was like one of the first ones especially when you're coming out with such a poppy um album beforehand it's hard to switch over immediately i mean it also i mean it's a mixture of like emo but there's also like some poppiness to it uh honestly the best thing is again just going through these track lists um he just, every album or every song, just he pulled something, poured something into. And I think it, it, it flows so naturally. Uh, for a title of the track was just Tired of Sex. And that one was just him talking about kind of like, you know, he hooking up with groupies and just like having this rock star lifestyle and finding no fulfillment from it. And like wondering like, oh, will he ever love someone? Or is this just all physical? Um... Oh, going down the list though, more across uh, across the sea is a ugh, <laughs> not a great. Uh, even I'll admit it, I don't like the theme of that song. It's very um, perverted in a way. Um, talking about you know wanting to being influenced by uh, Japanese culture in general. River was attracted um, 
to anything Japanese. Um, so it talks about one. He talks about getting a letter from a fan from Japan and like, you know, thinking about her when obviously she's like in high school, like as I don't know how like in some of the age in high school, something that's way too young. And he knows like he shouldn't be thinking about her, but at the same time can't. And it makes this, it is a perverted song, but at the same time, it can't help but, like, um, you know, he was so lonely at the time that he was clinging to anything in his life. And that letter was probably one of the few things of the that kept him going, honestly, at some point. Moving on, though, I mean, then you have, you have that where he's like, I'm at my low point, you know, this is what's going on. And then the good life, which is kind of just him realizing you know, listening to Madam Butterfly on repeat and kind of coming into his own again, but still being, um, like, a bit of a loner um, in his Ivy League life and stuff like that. I mean, he, he constantly said he felt isolated while um, at Harvard. So he, you know, he found this as, like, an ideal way of, like, expressing what, um, like, he felt the past was like when he wasn't there, he wasn't going through surgery constantly, and he was just partying and touring with Weezer and having a good time. And then you got the, which I never understood why this one became the first signal that got released for it. El Scorcho, while the good song definitely is not should should not have been the um, title track that got released and was pushed heavily throughout the uh, inception of the album. But um, it definitely, <laughs> it it's definitely is a good song because it does talk about, again, his inability to interact with girls and talk and he feels stressed out and it's you know he's just anxious all the time and it's more about him honestly than about anyone else and he knows you know he'll never know per people if he doesn't approach them and then it follows up with pink, pink triangle again just like the track list flows very naturally throughout it um and then pink triangle which is a man falls in love but ends up finding that the girl he's in love with is a lesbian and you know never knowing that they could never they're never going to be together because obviously she's not going to be attracted to him and just dealing with that emotion uh the last one which is this is kind of going to be like a breaking point to then talking about the tone of more of the songs is uh butterfly <coughs> butterfly the closing track is mostly a stripped down acoustic song and it's just again not even talking about the reflecting on the times of the rock star lifestyle and partying up but no just like the innocence and basic daily life of childhood and being at home with his mother and stuff like that it's a very beautiful song and it kind of closes out this more heavy and dark album on a light note carries out very nicely i think i mean then we can talk about like I mean, just in general, the, um, I mean, the general tone of a lot of these songs, I mean, The Good Life, El Scorcho, and Pink Triangle, while heavier, do have a distinct Weezer sound to it, that it's not that far of a, um, removal from their last album, but it does still have a darker, um, tone to it, but then you listen to songs like Get You, No Other One, and Why Bother, especially Why Bother, it's a very dark song but um and it's so heavy with these guitar riffs and this feedback coming through but it sounds so and at the time like yeah again people didn't understand that this sound would like progress into like they were ahead of their time with it and now people look back at it and they love this song or they love this album in general but um 
it I think these I mean these songs have this very heavy tone and then goes from across to across the sea and the good life into a more poppy tone but then just this ending of butterfly is just a like pure bliss uh ending and it really does just leave you on a high note like you know this is what you're going through now and it is nice to reflect on the childhood and the past but then you you know you gotta stay out of it um kind of way but i mean in general the again like i said the reason people call this a hipster album because it wasn't until i mean past few years is when i got into it actually for the first time i listened to it when i first got into weezer when i was in high school and i didn't like it like everyone else i was just like oh this really is not good and then i started listening to more heavy music and expanding my music repertoire ooh repertoire and um looking at that kind of stuff and then i finally listened to it freshman year in college so two years ago now oh god i'm old um and that's when I first listened to it, and I was like, oh, no, like, this, it's it's much deeper than their poppy stuff. As much as I like the pop rock that they were produced, this was something different. And, uh, yeah, again, just half its time, sadly. And uh could have been a lot more, but I think, honestly, it has aged beautifully compared to Licensed Ale, which can be described as quite old now. Um, but this one, this album right here, it's very much timeless, and I think it's just, like, rivers uh love letter to like you know the the bad times in his life but like moving on from it i mean this hurt him honestly when it didn't go well but and also matt sharp ended up leaving afterwards but honestly these two albums were just i mean blue album pinkerton were best albums honestly i mean i still listen to weezer don't get me wrong god only knows what's gonna happen in the future with them but (laughs) it it, it's definitely it's i think it's i think it's their i want to say it's better than blue album i'll say that yep you know what i'm saying it i'm saying it now pinkerton's better than the blue album i want every weezer fanboy and girl to come after me i think this is better than blue album and there's probably a lot of you that do agree hopefully i don't know um oh numbers oh god i hate this every time i don't know um 14 out of 10 why not okay that's good <laughs> like i don't know what, what to do with these number system but i i just really do love this album um even though it is older and sadly did not do as well as it did, ages perfectly. But that is going to do us for this week's episode. Thank you again for joining me. This has been the Vinyl Pioneer Podcast, and I hope you all have a wonderful week.